They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. I'm your host, Aaron Keith Harris. I'm the marketing director for the LPMC. And my guest today is someone whom we've had a few requests for, Maj Touré of Black Guns Matter. Of course, Maj was also a libertarian candidate for Philadelphia City Council last year and one of the seven or eight candidates who received campaign contributions from Mises PAC um, in that election cycle. Maj was also slated to be the keynote speaker of this year's Libertarian National Convention, but uh, that uh, came to an end after some people went back and did that Twitter dumpster diving thing and came up with some out of context stuff that caused a big rhubarb and caused Maj's exit from that uh, that role of being a, a the keynote convention speaker. Uh, he does talk about that a little bit in this interview, as well as a couple of other little recent um, uh, Twitter uh debates that he's gotten into or that people have called him to task for. But we don't spend uh, an awful lot of time talking about those libertarian marshmallows, as Maj calls them. Um, also, I want you to know there's a handful of little interruptions as you listen to this one. Maj was, uh, I think, watching his daughter in the next room, and occasionally he had to kind of speak to her. I thought about editing those out, but since Maj is family, I just left them in. Uh, as for the LNC convention, sit tight. A final determination should be made early next month um, whether the convention, which is now slated for Memorial Day weekend in Austin, Texas, will go on. Uh, we hope it will. They're, they're meeting on the 2nd of May, I think, to see what the legal situation is and all the other situations on the ground there in Texas to see if we're going to be able to at least have some people there. Uh, and perhaps uh, allow for remote voting as well. We're not sure about any of this. So what we're asking you to do is to sit tight, tight on all your plans. So if you've got a plane ticket, hold on to that. If you've got accommodations, hold on to those. If you're a delegate or an alternate for your state, please don't resign those spots until we know what is going to happen uh, because you may be able to vote remotely. We will keep you updated on this uh, right here in our uh, private Facebook group, the LPMC private Facebook group, and of course on our weekly newsletter, which if you haven't subscribed to it yet, you need to do that. It's uh, takehumanaction.com and you'll get a pop-up thing uh, that will allow you to subscribe and get the latest news as it happens. Also, if you want us to be able to support candidates like Maj this year, 
um, which uh, it's a process we've already started. We've got a candidate survey, I think, that we're getting ready to send out to candidates to find out which are the ones in local winnable races, those uh, who can communicate kind of the Mises caucus message of Austrian economics and radical political decentralization. So once we identify them, we're going to want to support them with campaign contributions. And we do that because people like you help Mises PAC grow and to help Mises PAC uh, grow and build up that campaign war chest uh, also, go to TakeHumanAction.com and click the donate link there. Also, one more thing, stay tuned after the interview to learn how you can win a copy of Hans Hermann Hoppe's Economics and Ethics of Private Property. Now, I hope you enjoy my talk with Maj Touré. All right, with me today, I'm pleased to uh, welcome to Decentralized Revolution, Maj Touré. How are you? What's up? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm in lockdown. What's it like there? in uh, you in Philly, I guess? Um, yeah, I'm in Philly right now. What's the situation um, on the ground there? Um, for the most part, uh, we, we have, I, I started a uh, first ashe to everybody that, um, for, I, I like to start these things, uh, interviews now with some sort of spiritual component, because I think because I speak a lot more aggressive, people seem to think that I'm like, you know, not a spiritual dude or whatever. I'm just like a rabble rouser for no reason. And that's not the case. So Ashe is just paying homage to, you know, our ancestors and all that other good stuff. Um, with that being the case, um, here I started a uh, a DM, like a private chat with doctors and epidemiologists and virologists from Philadelphia and across the country just to get people that are actually on ground zero's perspective of what's happened. So Philadelphia has, as the last time we communicated, 32 uh, COVID uh, cases in one particular hospital. Um, it's, it's, it's sparing across the, the nation. Some places are obviously hit more hard than others. Um, a lot of the numbers, people are like, yeah, some of the doctors I'm talking to, they're like, yeah, they want me to say something, you know, COVID or Corona for financial reasons. And I'm not, I'm not feeling like it. Um, and some doctors are just like, like places like New York are really, really hit. But as far as Philly, um, the, the more the biggest concern is outside of people are, you know, being affected, um, the businesses as well as uh, the medical professionals were more. I think the biggest concern came from them being concerned about running out of PPE, uh, personal protection equipment. So but by and large, Philadelphia, um, we're not on lockdown like California is. And it's that type of thing. Is not really going to happen in Philly? Because Philadelphians are very. Um, rebellious by nature i hadn't heard that i hadn't heard that yeah i'm kidding, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> i have so, a friend uh, from philly so, so i know what it's like there, there, there's a lot of more uh marshmallow people to kind of like beta individuals that um are like still lining up to at trader joe's and all that other type of stuff so and i'm not saying that in a, in a negative way i'm just saying different types of people have different ideologies so more of the um you know man bun you know, they were wearing a scarf already type of dudes. You know, those people, um, you know, they're falling right in line. They're running around with these these cloth masks over their face that honestly help nothing. But it gives them a feeling of, you know, security. So whatever. That's their freedom to do so. Um, but for the most part, it's annoying. I can't go to my favorite restaurants. I have been focusing on cooking and, and building a lot more. I've been able to get everybody's, you know, orders out a lot faster. So um, there's there's pros and cons, but the biggest 
the biggest thing that I'm concerned about is the governmental overreach, yep. you know, um, and, and making sure that we're in that good Venn diagram of taking something, you know, that has the potential to kill you serious, um, preparing and tr attempting to prevent economic doom, as well as um, protecting, you know, the human rights as codified in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So that's that little middle of the Venn diagram that I'm in. And uh, but generally, for the most part, Phillies, Phillies, you know, we we still doing what we want while somewhat being safe. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the thing is like my wife and I are staying in because we want to and because we right. think it's wise, not because they're telling us to. But right. some some of the some of the overreach. Let's get into some of that. One, I think the most blatant uh, overreach is just the shutting down all these, you know, declaring arbitrarily what's essential, what's non-essential, shutting them down. Um, what does that do in a place um, that is already, you know, in most inner cities? There's a lot of economic hardship. What does it do when? things are already not that great. And then the government says, yep, everything except the restaurants is shut down. Um, it does several things. One, it provides cover to try to pretend like that you guys were, weren't already on with all of this hyperinflation and spending and printing money and printing money and printing money. One thing that it does is pretend like this was only because of the virus. Yep. That's one thing. So that's a, that's a smart play as a, as a chess player. I don't have to like the other team or the other side of the board. Um, but I can respect the move. So that's one thing that it does, especially when you, on top of that, pr just print up $2 trillion and just, you know, just here and give it 75 million of it to Big Bird staying on air. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, that's one thing that it does. It, it, it allows that vision to be clouded and for people to think that um, economic hyperinflation and things like that have something more to do with the virus, more so than just bad economic practices for a very long time. The other thing that it does is it, you know, it stifles small businesses. Now, I know that, you know, we're doing like these quarantine crawls. But we're finding businesses that are open, um, restaurants, maybe get down. Um, finding businesses that are open and, and supporting them in whichever way that we can. Um, but, it, but it creates um, kind of like a bottleneck. The beautiful thing that what will happen that I am seeing is I kind of I kind of akin this to you know 9/11. After 9/11, people were so human. You know what I'm saying? It was so, hey, I'm I'm appreciative of my appetizers and my entrees. I'm appreciative of my waiter. I'm appreciative of the job that I have. So I can't make it all doom and gloom. I, I look to the future as well. Um, but what it's also doing is. It's, for me, it's allowing me to see who's the actual rebels and who gonna make it onto my zombie apocalypse team or not. Yep. You know, because um, places like Phoenix Ammo, which you know is a, is Black Guns Matter, they're our ammo sponsor. They have not stopped. Before Michigan said, or, or the, you know, uh, President Trump said, you know, gun manufacturers, ammo manufacturers are essential, um, and he got that right. Um, they never stop. And so I, I want to support it. I'm going to make sure that all of the, the people that are down with Black Guns Matter, all of the libertarians, all of the Republicans, Democrats, I don't care. Um, if you into firearms, you should support the businesses that didn't forsake you during a time because Big Daddy government said they can't. And Phoenix Ammo did that. So it's showing me those types of companies. Um, it's showing me this shutdown is showing me and us the lie that 
law enforcement officers won't imp impose or uh, enforce un un unconstitutional laws when their back's against the wall or when shit gets tight. I mean, to say that somebody wouldn't exercise an unconstitutional law is a farce when cops, you know, or officers uh, enforce gun charges, gun, gun possession, you know, uh, charges all the time. So this is also showing that. We got guys in Philadelphia that happen to be officers that are getting on buses and trains without masks, telling people they have to get off the train or bus without a mask. It's highlighting the contradiction severely. Um, just it's also making people that are seemingly quote unquote on the left, they're seeing their illusions fall right in front of their face too. I was in California, you know, a few weeks ago, in the, in the beginning of this, having a great time on the Santa Monica Pier, a great time, and uh, so many. And then since then, you know, they've shut things down, and so many of those uh, people that identify themselves as on the left went to go buy guns, and they saw the lies that mass media told them. They thought they could just go buy the gun and get out of there, and they're like, "Nah, you gotta wait three to ten days." Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, continue playing on your game, honey. Um, they they also uh, were. Uh, bought into this false belief that at the same time that they were saying, and again, I think a lot of people that are in jail shouldn't be in jail for nonviolent offenses. Um, however, at the same time, they were saying, hey, we got to let people out of jail. Oh, but we as law enforcement officers are not responding to burglaries and little, uh, you know, little, little seemingly trivial things. I think that a lot of people on the left, and they'll never forget that. Yep. They'll never forget that yep. the people that they said that were supposed to come protect them that we on the, you know, liberty-based thought thinkers were saying like, yo, bro, that's not their job and it's not their responsibility. Like, by law, by Supreme Court law, they have no obligation to come help you. And they fought against it. So um, that's another area where we see, we're seeing some good pushback. March alone had 2.5 million gun sales. Now, that's a record month, but we don't know how many of those were new gun owners. We don't, you know. Um, all we can do is make sure that we're presenting information to uh, make those new gun owners, what do you need, baby? Okay, bring me the computer. Or you, you have to bring me the computer, be careful. Unplug it. Um, with this being the case, we're seeing all of those things happen. Uh, and so what's happening is uh, there's a bunch of people, thank you, stay there. There's a bunch of people that are being woken up because life is making them wake up. And I think that uh, that is something that has been wonderful. Great. Two hands. Take it back in there. Careful. Go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about, um, you mentioned police a little bit. And before we get into Black Guns Matter, I want to talk about police and Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah. People have, over the last few years, I think with the rise of cell phones, there's been just an explosion. You can watch... Uh, you know, you could go online and watch 24 hours straight videos of cops shooting dogs and stuff mm -hmm. like that before you even get to what they do to people. Right. Right. So um, what has what have you seen as far as people waking up to what police sort of actually are um, and how um, how what do you think Black Lives Matter gets right and gets wrong? What I think Black Lives Matter got right, first I want to say the origin of that movement started with a few brothers and sisters over in Ferguson. Yep. Um, and that Ferguson movement was co-opted. Rest in peace to Darren Seals. N not to mention that uh, several of those orig original five to ten folks 
um, were killed, were shot in the head, and two of them, their, uh, Darren Seals' car was burned and set on fire. Hmm. Um, the, the Ferguson in St. Louis, baby, I'm doing something. You have to go sit down and play on your computer. The Ferguson Police Department aren't, aren't even uh, investigating those as homicides. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's where the movement came from. It was co-opted. Um, now it's turned into something that's like, like more LGBTQ and something. And to be perfectly honest, the, the impact of Black Guns Matter kind of like put them on the sidebar. So I think that their original, between Darren Seals and a few of those other cats, um, I think that movement was great. I think that what they get right is the expression that there are social injustices or injustices, period, um, that certain sections, and I have friends and family that are law enforcement, some guys and women that are law enforcement are scumbags. That's it. That's no different than if some guys and women in the black community, Chinese community, white community, Spanish community are scumbags. The vast majority of those people, you know, um, are pretty solid individuals or at least attempt to be. Um, the problem with law enforcement is when you're adding more and more and more and more laws that are more and more and more violations to the human right of movement, so forth and so on. And we can argue about the degradation of you know, what someone thinks should be lawful and what someone thinks should be not. Um, but at the same time, you, you're, in essence, the difference with law enforcement is you're there to do a job that inherently is um, becoming more and more about police state as opposed to peace officer, more and more about law enforcement than keeping the peace. Um, so quite naturally, if the supreme law of the land is the Second Amendment, is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and the Second Amendment says shall not be infringed, no law enforcement officer in the entire country should be arresting somebody for simply possessing one of these, okay? Um, with that being the case, um, these are the things that, that are contradictions. Um, Black Lives Matter got that right. What Black Guns, Black Lives Matter got wrong that, they, that Black Guns Matter solved was they weren't talking about arming the population. They were doing hands up, don't shoot, which is a submissive. Uh, it's, I'm never going to be in a space where I'm begging somebody for my life. Either you got the drop on me, which is my fault because I wasn't paying attention, or I see you coming and I have the means to stop you and protect myself and my family and my loved ones. That's the part that I think that they got incorrect. Um, on top of that, uh, I also think that they turned into something else. They took the bag. They took the money. You know, they got divvied up. And this isn't me just making this assumption. This is something that the founders of the Ferguson movement that turned into Black Lives Matter have said. You know, Google gave them half a million dollars, so forth and so on. I think with Black Guns Matter, what we get right that a lot of organizations, not just Black Lives Matter, because it's not about attacking them. What we get right is we self-funded. We work for the people for real. I've, 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 because I've been outspoken, you know, a lot of the libertarians know that I don't, I don't care about calling out an arrogant donor. I don't, I don't bow to a donor class in any way, shape, or form. Our, 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 our uh, views are aligned in freedom and liberty. You know, you respect freedom. You respect that I have a very um, specific, and the area that I'm dealing with has its own internal issues that we have to get on board with liberty, and you want to support that. But you will not control me or my peoples. It's not going to happen that way. We execute, you know, um, we move more militant than that. You know, and so I think that where we got it right is where BLM got it wrong. When you take the money, unless you're willing to just openly say, so what? I took your money and what? You know what I'm saying? And I'm still going to do what's best for the community. Unless you're willing to say that, if you take the money, that comes with strings attached. 
you know, and I, I think that they did that. My my baby, what are you doing? I need you to, baby, I'm on an interview. I need you to go watch your show, baby, for a little bit. I need you to stay out of that closet, please. Thank you. Okay, you can get a toy, but you have to be very, very quiet, which you've already failed to that, do. That's all right. We're okay. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what BLM got wrong. Um, and I, I don't fault them. You know, it, it can be very, some people say I'm on a suicide mission. I'm talking about going around arming, like, people that traditionally do this get shot. Right. Like, I mean, Malcolm, Huey P. Newton, Fred Hampton, John F. Kennedy. Like, we yeah. know how this go. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't really care about that, though. The beauty of it is nobody gets off of Earth alive unless you're an astronaut. You know, and whether you believe in that whole NASA thing or not. Right. But, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not really tripping. Um, I'm actually a patriot. I'm actually, um, uh, you know, willing to withstand certain uh, quote unquote conventional wisdom and certain question everything and, and fight against certain things. And even even in the Liberty Room, there's certain things that I understand that most libertarians are for. Yep. Right now, I'm not based on the current realities. It's something that I aspire to, and I think the hum humanity can aspire to. You know, like, I don't want to, ca like, carrying a gun is inconvenient. It's like I carry appendix, right? I don't want to carry a gun everywhere. Behind me in this safe, there's a bunch of guns. My daughter's in the other room. I have to be, I cannot, I, if it was just me in the house, you know, I, I could be much more comfortable. I could just leave a gun anywhere. I cannot do that. It is extra work. I would love, but that's the responsibility that comes along with that. I would love to be in a space where humanity evolved to the point where we didn't need these crude, you know, weapons, you know, uh, and I believe in the, the possibility or, of humans evolving to that point. And I'll be more willing to do that when military and law enforcement officers choose to not have them. Yep. But currently that's not the case. So my point that, in saying all of this is um, being willing to, not take the bag and stick to the bag of money and stick to those core principles is what BGM got right. That a certain, that, you know, certain people, you know, um, and organizations have not. And I'm not even just talking about BLM. Again, we can talk about the NRA. They did the same thing. Yep. We can talk about a lot of organizations. We, you know, if I changed my languaging, if I went less centrist, if I went, the libertarian people beat me up sometimes, the Republican people beat me up sometimes. The Democrat people beat me up sometimes because I'm in the middle of a Venn diagram. Yep. If I just picked one of these and stuck to it, everything about me, my finances, my influence, well, not influence, I'm still hella influential, my social media following, all of those things. If I just went Trump, 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 you know, as opposed to going, yeah, I agree with him here, but I disagree with him here, everything would explode. So I think BGM and creating solutionaries, we get that right. And I don't think BLM... Well, a lot of organizations got that part right because it's 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 more nuanced and it's more difficult to exercise that nuance, you know. So that's what I think they got right and and, and got wrong. Okay, so let's get into to, to BGM. Now, what uh, inspired its founding? Most people um, uh, listening to this podcast kind of know what it is, but uh, pretend uh, somebody doesn't know anything about Black Guns Matter. Give them the rundown yeah. how it got started and what it does. Yeah, basically, um, it was in 2016 going into the, to the elections about four years ago. And what happened was um, everybody, you know, in the election year, every everybody's talking about the national voting. And so voters registration, voters registration, that's what you hear. And me and my partner said, we need to forget a voters registration drive. 
we need a license to carry drive because everybody's still catching cases for possession charges. I mean, guys that didn't have cases at all, you know, just having the gun. So we did an event and, you know, we, we named the, organiz- the, the the event this. And what we expected maybe 30, 40, 50 people to came. Hundreds of people came from Jersey, from New York, from all over the place. And what we did was um, we, in essence, saw that um, there was a need for this. So we then said, okay, what if we just do a little tour? And we wanted to do 13 cities, kind of like after the 13 colonies. We raised, said we wanted to raise $25,000 to get those cities done to, you know, offset the cost of any beginners so the classes would remain free. We did it. We ran through those 13 cities, and we just kept getting so many emails from people like, yo, you ain't coming to my town. So we just decided to keep going. And, you know, years later, now we have bigger ideals. And, you know, this year we want to buy our first building that we own outright. Um, so anywhere, anyone from around the country can come to our flagship store here, learn consistently for, you know, free. Um, we want to get a tour bus where we can go and be in a town for a week at a time and offset some of the costs. Because flights and hotel fees is a lot of money, especially when you stand in a place for, you know, days at a time. So we probably want to get like an RV. Not probably, that's what we're going to do. Um, so it just kept snowballing. And more and more people saw the need for it. And the classes, you know, kept being like standing room only. So we just kept going. And that's how BGM started. And that's where we are now. We've, we've done at least 100 events over the last two years. Because the first year or so, it was just, you know, we just doing classes in Philly and regionally. Um, since then, you know, I've been everywhere. You know, CPAC, uh Freedom Fest, uh, you name it, for the most part. Democratic National Convention. This year, we're going to hit the DNC, the RNC. Um, and I, I'm still thinking about popping up and popping in at the Libertarian National Convention. We'd if love to have you. Them. We'd love to have you if we actually have one. Yeah, because if so, I want a lot of the, the people that say a lot of that, you know, a lot of goofy things on the Internet, I would like to see them in person. I want them to keep that same energy, you know. So, but, you know, the point being is, I want everybody to understand this, man. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't, that's, that does, my, my children love me. So I don't, you know, that part I don't really care about. Um, I love you. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want anybody to take, because they can't have conversations with me in long format. I don't want people to take tweets and things out of context and think I'm a warmonger or I'm not. I'm, I'm also not with Americans or any humans being violated. Today, somebody asked me, because I, I made a tweet that was taken out of context. Um, some, yeah, somebody just tried to call me. Um, I took a tweet that was taken out of context. Somebody took a tweet that was taken out of context and said, um, you know, uh, in essence, because I said, of you know, the Wuhan virus, and if it was proven that China did this on purpose, that they got to get that bread right, that debt needs to be cleared, because America owes China a lot of money. Right. That debt needs to be cleared, or you know, they must be asking to be turned into a parking lot. And that doesn't mean I'm saying, yes, go bomb China. What I'm saying, and, and kill millions of innocent people, that's goofy. And that's how I know people that have never been involved in anything actually aggressive. Because war is costly and bloody, but sometimes necessary. Sometimes, very rarely. That does not mean that this thing that we're calling war, which is really just, we want your, we want your poppy fields, we want your oil fields, we're, I'm not saying that, but if someone is actually violating the non-aggression principle as a, or their leadership is doing that, at a certain point, you, you indemnified, you got to respond. Yep. 
you know? And so uh, some of those things get taken out of context. And I'm not a libertarian that's just like, well, just live and let live. If you attack me and try to attack my way of life, biochemically, physically, economically, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a response. I'm just not. I'm from Philly. I don't know about that soft marshmallow thing. Yep. You know. And if not, there's no because everyone doesn't share your same sentiment. Yep. Everyone isn't like, oh yeah, because just as much as people, you know, so open borders, for example. I would love for I would love there for there be, to be no passports. I would love for everyone to be able to go everywhere. But again, back to that statement earlier, everyone, the rights aren't being reciprocated. I can't just hang out in Tokyo for as long as I want. They're going to be like, yo, one, why are you here? Two, how long do you plan on being here while you're dropping that bread off? And if after that's up, okay, see you later. You know, um, so there's a certain reality that has to be uh, met. And I, I just want people to understand that. Don't let these little pages that p- use the little pull quotes or take things out of context, you know, have a packaging of me as a, as a complete person, because it's not. Right. Um, you know, so I, I just wanted to intersect that there. Yeah, I think that's what we're trying to do with the Mises Caucus is kind of what you are doing with BGM is you're sticking to your program and getting your stuff done and building your organization and not stopping uh, every time somebody chirps at you to go off into this, you know, side quest to, to, right. to, to try to win a debate with somebody who doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, um, let's talk about BGM uh, events. What happens at those in, in a little, in some detail and who shows up to those and has that changed over the last few years? Um, so as my, as my visibility rises, some, more and more people are coming that are already gun people or freedom people because they just want to meet and hang out. And everybody knows that I'm very down to earth. Everybody knows that. Um, so that's what's changing. Um, we have to do more in regards to, um, oh, I'm getting more death threats. That's always fun. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? We have to do more in making sure that the classes stay like under 100 people because okay. it's a lot harder to manage a class with 400 people in it. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is um, we are seeing more and more people that thought that guns were bad from all ethnic demographics, but still from an urban demographic, um, ethnic communities still from an urban demographic, come to learn. They, we've seen people that's coming there comfortable saying, yo, I don't know nothing. They've watched me first on social media and they go, OK, this guy presents information without trying to make you feel stupid or he doesn't talk. Sometimes you're not even trying to talk to make people feel stupid, but you're talking way above them. You know, I have no problem using very simple nomenclature. Hey, these two bumps in the back of the firearm, these are rear sights. This one bump in the front of it, that bumpy thing, that's your front sight. I have no problem using very layman nomenclature, which makes people feel more comfortable. So we're getting more and more beginners. Um, What people get when they come to our classes is they're going to get a basic understanding of why the Second Amendment is very important. Um, the racist roots of gun control, why it was there, why it was, and, you know, people throw that word racist out, and, and I think way more than it actually things aren't racist. They're not racist. It's like people in the libertarian movement aren't racist because they don't understand urban America. They just they just sheltered sometimes. Same thing as the, the you know, quote-unquote Republican side. Um, that doesn't make them racist. That means they're culturally incompetent about a particular thing. Um, and I mean, I use that word incompetent, not in a negative. They don't know. Yeah. you know, or ignorant, yeah. unaware. Um, so we, those things aren't racist, but gun control is racist. 
it was deliberate and specific. You know what I'm saying? Hey, make sure that the black people <laughs> don't have guns. Right. Like pretty much in a nutshell. Right. Um, so with that being the case, explaining to people why it's very important for them to um, utilize the, the Bill of Rights and understand their natural rights and their sovereignty um, and why the push was made for um, melanated beings specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, to not have, um, to not understand that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution aren't government-given powers. Those are human and natural rights codified. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so they get a basic, you know, every beginner gets a basic understanding of that. Depending on where I'm going, it depends on the, the racial, quote-unquote, racial makeup of the room. If I'm in Seattle, or, or better yet, um, my class is in Berkeley. Right. Uh, it's on a college campus. It's probably going to be a lot of white folk. Yep. Like, duh. If yep. my class is in New York or Brooklyn, it's gonna, it might be more Caribbean folk. If my class is in Philly, it's going to be a lot of black and brown people. Um, you know, so because I've, I've seen that too. Guys will take a picture of my class in uh, Colorado, Port, uh, Denver, Colorado. It's like, bro, it's white world over here. Like, what do you yep. what do you expect? Yep. Black people don't bang with the snow like that. That's <laughs> right. just what it is. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so it's still diverse. It's but still but Colorado's diverse. got weed there now, so maybe black people will start moving there. Yo, listen, <laughs> hear me when I say, in job opportunities alone, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and cultivating, growing, drying, and you know things of that nature. Um, so you know, it's 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 still I'm still seeing it change in in regards to we have more and more people coming to the classes that are okay with saying that they're beginners because. My, my, those, those interviews that a lot of people tell me I shouldn't do. You shouldn't do Candace Owens show. You shouldn't do Tommy Laren. These have millions upon millions of views. And I'm reaching out and reaching people that see me as, okay, this, I feel comfortable with this guy. So we're getting more people that are beginners that are open to freedom and liberty and open to say, hey, I don't know much, but I trust you to put me on the beginning stages and I'll go up the escalator myself. I've heard you talk a little bit about, um, uh, conflict resolution and, and uh, do you do some of that and and also conflict resolution among private people on one hand and then also like how to talk to cops do you do you train people how to talk to cops if they're uh, accosted yeah. yeah yeah those are things that are standard in all of the classes okay um so the conflict resolution component is not even just from hey we in the club you stepped on my sneaker i got the gun in the club i shouldn't shoot you outside of that just teaching people to slow down and really evaluate Look at your surroundings. It's you know I use this example all the time. It's a crowded club. People may have been drinking. It's a bunch of beautiful women in here. Guys may be focused on you know the the rump or the bosom more so than you and your four hundred dollars sneakers. So he might bump into you and step on your sneakers. The question you got to ask is was it intentional? And even if it was, is it worth you shooting him in the club or starting a fight? You know what I mean? That's not a usually that's not a aggressive act and even if it is an aggressive act every aggress every aggressive act does not need to have be you know retaliate now if he turns around and smacks you in the mouth okay then you got to do what you got to do and it, but then it becomes levels to that so having that conversation about what conflict is and what it isn't how to neutralize and a lot of times how to even start that you know stop that before it even starts you know hey man maybe i shouldn't wear four or five hundred dollar thousand dollar sneakers in a crowded club where there's liquor and people dancing on a Friday night where it's potentially going to be crowded because I really like these sneakers. You know what I mean? Um, so de-escalation, preventative maintenance, conflict resolution looks like that on an individual level. 
on a collective level, just giving everybody an understanding of what are the rules, unconstitutional or not, what are the rules in engaging law enforcement when you're in a car, when you're not in the car, um, when, uh, you know, what are the laws of that land? And each class, we give breakdowns of each state's rules. So it's organic in that way. Because what works for me in Pennsylvania may not be the same uh, rules, quote unquote, in, you know, Jersey or New York or whatever. So giving people that framework um, in conjunction with all of those things together, saying these are your rights. Some of these rights are being trampled by this unconstitutional legislation. These are the people responsible for it. Here is how you fight against that while not sending yourself to jail and de-escalating things. I'm not arguing with a law enforcement officer on the side of the road. I'm just not doing it. Yep. Cool. Give me the ticket. I'll see you in court. Right. You know, um, how do you change the court date? Because usually officers have specific dates that they go to court on. First thing I'm going to do is change the date. I'm changing the date of that. So now he's got to shift his schedule around and so forth and so on. A lot of times they don't even come after that. Yep. And then that gets and then you break in some of that revenue generation for the state. You know, just little things like that that um, we communicate with on the on the you know solutionaries versus the state um, perspective at all of our BGM classes. If you come to the classes, all of that information is standard at every single one. Um, I want to get into your run for city council here in a second, but one other question: You mentioned people like uh, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, people like that. Um, who met with a bad end, how, how does the local government um, and local law enforcement where you are, how do they treat you? And then how is that when you go into a city where you haven't gone before? What kind of, are you scared? Are you really scaring people? What are the, what are they, t what are you getting back from the people who don't necessarily want people to, to own and know how to use guns responsibly? Um, the rank and file law enforcement officers love what we do because that means if they come through my class, they, they have a better understanding of citizen law enforcement interactions. Okay. Um, and it, it hasn't, uh, the people that are against me are still at this point clandestine. Um, they're, the, the people that came before me, a lot of their speech earlier was littered with anger because they was alive in the 60s. When it was overt, we're sicking dogs on you. The racism was overt, so the reaction was overt. Um, they have to be more. They have to be more. I don't want to say principal, but they have to be more strategic in their how they handle me. So a lot of times, local law enforcement, um, you know, if they, if they doing what they doing, I'm pretty sure I'm on some sort of list. I would be I would be disappointed if I'm not. Um, however, I'm talking about changing laws, and we're talking about compliance with laws until you change them, as well as um, recognizing that these laws are unconstitutional. Um, I think that the threat will become bigger when I have more, like millions upon millions of dollars on me. Right. Then the threat becomes different. Right now, they still think it's small potatoes on a certain level, and that's fine. Neglect is my ally, right. you know? Um, so, but as far as the rank and file, the rank and file law enforcement officers love what we do. We've had law enforcement officers come help, come teach, come share. We've had them get on camera saying, I love what's happening. I've had the guy that was the law enforcement officer that was during, that was, uh, the commissioner of New York police department during 9-11 on national television say, we, I love what you're doing. And this needs to be funded nationwide. I've had that happen. Um, because we're talking about safe and responsible firearms ownership. You know, we're not talking about. Um, even when I say, you know, 
certain portions of, I'm very careful, certain portions of law enforcement officers are scumbags, period. Law enforcement officers know that. So I'm not saying, you know, all law enforcement officers should be shot. I'm saying if you, regardless of your uniform or, or not, are attempting to take my life, you will be dealt with accordingly. Everybody, no one can disagree with that. So I think that the people that are clandestine, you know, they haven't shown themselves yet, and they shouldn't. Um, the people that are actually listening recognize that this is not racist. This is not hate white people. This is not, you know, uh, stumping for Trump. This is not the Libertarian Party has all of the answers. This is an American patriotic thing. Yep. Of, you know what I mean? And so when, when you when you listen to it in long format, you'd be very hard pressed, especially as a law enforcement officer, to disagree with those things. Yep. Um, how did you get linked up with uh, Michael Heiss? So Mike was responsible for, he, he came to me a while ago and was like, yo, you should run for city council. And I was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, and and I have my my suspicions that those machines were sneaky, um, to say the least. But, uh, you know, everybody can say that when they lose. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm not really tripping. I mean, my city's 80% Democrat. But the vast majority of the people that start, that voted for me were first-time voters. And I just, my job was to really get them engaged in the political process. Um, and the ma mainstream media was horribly afraid of me. They, I can tell because they act like they can't see you when they, you are actual <laughs> friend. Um, so, you know, uh, but Mike, Mike was very instrumental in that. And uh, I, I hit Mike up for books now. Like, yo, yo, I don't know. Like, my, my understanding of things is very practical. When I want um, higher level um, information, I'll hit Mike up and be like, yo, you know what I'm saying? What's, what's up with this right here? What's up with this dude? You know what I mean? Um, that's why I thought it was very important for him, for him, you know, to, to one, he's a, he's a, and outside of the fact that he's a good dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? I see his, his attachment and his fight for Liberty. Um, and I, I bang with people like that, you know, and the libertarian movement has a lot of marshmallows in it. And yeah. I think that Mike understands by being so close to and living in and around Philly, I think he understands urban areas more so than a lot of libertarians. Yep. You know what I mean? And so because of that, um, he was a solid dude. He, he never really sold me nothing. He, he's, he's been able to very, very few people can say, Hey man, I disagree with you there, but all right, cool. Let's see what's happening. What happens or, um, objective enough for me to go, bro. I don't, I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I, I see the work that he's putting in. So that's, that's initially how I got linked up with him years ago. Um, and then when he started to want to do it again, I was like, all right, cool. I, I'll run. I, I knew that it was going to be a, a rumble and it, there would be like a snowball's chance in hell for me to win, you know, but that's not really why I did it. I know that I campaigned better than anybody. My campaign was the visuals, the everything, you know, I just didn't have, a, I only raised like $60,000, $70,000 in a short period of time. However, um, you know, the establishment, the Democratic establishment uh, in Philadelphia is very, very entrenched, you know. So now if, if I was to decide to do it again for city council or for mayor, the first thing that I would do, stop playing. The first thing that I would do is I would do what in 2016 we recognized that everybody was doing on a national level. 
And I'm still thinking about that, whether I run or not again, which is I think I'm going to start making everybody switch from Democratic to either independent or libertarian in Philly. I think that just as I was able to get 10,000 signatures to get on the ballot when I only needed like 3,200 or however much it was, um, mind you, I kept 3,000 in the tuck just in case they tried to play themselves with a challenge. (laughs) Um, I think that I think that that's something that with so many of America identifying as independent or so many people in the hood that once being shared what libertarianism is identifies with it. I think there will be more power in me over the next year or two or so just making people switch their um, voters registration. Yeah. Just making them switch. Um, so that's how I got linked up with Mike. Um, he, he put in that work in. And, and, I, and there's very few people that in this, even even in my own campaign over time, you know, there was people that joined because they wanted to rob my coattails to get, they couldn't get, they couldn't get the signatures to get on the ballot. And they said that they weren't going to um, run for their local position. But as soon as the signatures got cleared, they still, you know, um, did that. And they did nothing but be a thorn in the side the entire campaign. These are people that I'm not going to say their names. There were people that were on my campaign identifying people in Philly LP and Pennsylvania LP that did not help because they did not like me. Yeah. You know, this happened. And everybody in the libertarian community knows that we tend to do all of this infighting, silly, goofy vibe. And it's not really what time it is. Yeah. Uh, but so because of that, even through that, there's very few people that I'm still like, I bang with Mike. And he, he was solid on what he agreed on and disagreed on. And we still, you know, friends to this day because of that. He didn't try nothing snaky, you know what I mean, or the passive aggressive thing. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I got linked up with him. I'm still, I'm still um, proud to call him a friend. Uh, you talked about you used the phrase a couple of times, marshmallow, libertarian marshmallows, and I, I know there's a lot of those. Um, and one of the things I think that stems from is just sort of, uh, you know, a cultural non-awareness. Um, I, I had my eyes opened. Uh, about 10 years ago, I spent three years teaching at a charter school in West Dayton, where mm-hmm. I was usually the only white person in the building. Yeah. And I, during those three years, getting to know those students, being a, a, a sort of an assistant coach on the basketball team, uh, going places with them, home visits, um, I learned so much about what it's like to be poor and black in Dayton. Mm-hmm. That I had no idea and I just lived, you know, six miles away from it my whole life. How can we get, you know, one of the things I think I would love to see libertarians be is more diverse and not just for the sake of, oh, well, we want this color face here and that color face here in our photos. But we want to actually grow and reach out to people. What's preventing libertarians from reaching the people that you're able to reach? And what can they we do? They don't, they, don't, they don't have the proper liaisons. Yeah. And the proper liaisons like myself that show up, they like the NRA. They don't really want that level of diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. They want to have, like you said, they want the picture. They, it's like, remember Burger King used to have like these Burger King kids? And it was like the one kid in the wheelchair, yeah, yeah. one Asian kid. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it would look diverse. You know what I'm saying? But then when you look at uh, Burger King's ownership and or management executive at the executive level, it does not look diverse. Right. Um, so they usually sh- scare people away. Um, and you got you got, you know, people in certain positions of leadership like Sarwar, like um, uh, 
Dan Hayes that runs the, the you know, whatever section he runs, they's cowards. I mean, like, that's just what it is. And when you have strong people like myself and, like, I'm going to make it, I think, I, and I've been sitting on this for a while, I think I'm going to make it my mission to, like, bring more urban people into, because currently we don't have anybody can do it that, that can do it. The closest to it is Larry Sharp. But Larry Sharp ain't from the hood. I mean, yeah. he's from the hood, don't get me wrong. But I, and he, and he and I have discussed this. I bring a different energy. You know, the only other person I think that could potentially do it, and I don't even know if he's interested, is Eric July. Yeah. And he, same thing. Certain levels of leadership have been very disrespectful towards him. And I'm, I, I don't like bullies, so I'll start bullying bullies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's where, where what's missing, the correct liaisons or the humility and leadership to recognize what you don't know, you know? Then, then there aren't a bunch of people like Mike Heiss or, uh, you know, Dave Smith that are, hey, this is my lane. Other, or yourself, hey, this is where I live, six miles up the street. Damn, I wasn't even aware. Damn. Now this objectivity happens and you think about it a little bit differently. Um, we're so smart, we're dumb. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing that happens. So I think, I think, um, I think maybe I'll take that on as like a, let me see if I can get, because I think Libertarian Party leadership or registered Libertarians across the country, I think dues-paying members, I think is like seventeen or 18,000 yeah. folks or something like that. Maybe I'll just get 20,000 people in Philly to become Libertarians. That'd be great. You know what I'm saying? And then it becomes, all right, now we got to contend with this. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think that that's what happens. Because for a minute, I was about to be like, man, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get on an island with Rihanna. You know, and so, um, and then I, I had I had lunch with Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp pretty much was like, "Yo, bro, please do not leave the Libertarian Party." And I'm like, "Why? <laughs> like, these guys aren't? Because if I would have won, they wouldn't have removed me as the keynote speaker." Right. You know what I'm saying? Now I wouldn't yeah. have taken that position as the keynote speaker if I was Larry because of how it looked. But I'm not mad at Larry for doing it because. I didn't even know at the time that Larry wasn't never the keynote. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Like, why wouldn't you? Right. Dude's been on Rogan. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? So, um, but I understand that the play that they tried to move with that move. But nonetheless, um, you know, Sarwark won't be back. <clears throat> Maybe he'll run as somebody's, you know, vice chair or do something like that. I don't know. I, I know that he lied to me, you know, and I don't like rats and snakes. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, I might just take it up, and him and a few other maybe Philadelphia Libertarian Party people and Pennsylvania, I might just take it upon myself to really just kind of like flex that way because yeah. I'm way more influential and have more people like me than y'all. Yeah. And so we need more people that have a gritty, uncompromising, non-argumentative, yeah. you know, diverse thought pattern. And I think urban America is the key there. And, uh, you know, so that's what we can do to kind of like strengthen us as on the on the local, state, and, and national side of it. We just need more people to not leave. And I, you know, I teetered with it, and I thought about it. But now, even if it's just to scare certain levels of leadership, I might just stick around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anything we can do at the Mises Caucus to help with that, and even me personally, um, with the limited experience I have, I still have more experience than a lot of libertarians that I know. I'd be happy to help uh, help you with whatever, uh, I can to do that. Because I really believe that, like you said, to be less argumentative, to listen to what people, where they coming from is, I think pretty, 
pretty important. If I go in there and tell people, give them a 20 minute lecture on what Murray Rothbard says about taxation, that's not going to resonate if I haven't built a relationship with them first. Correct. Yeah. Right. And the, the ear and you, we could be saying the same thing. Yep. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to listen to Maj. This guy's from Ohio. He doesn't know my story, but it's like, you don't know if you, cause that, cause that lack of objectivity falls on both sides. I'm not saying like urban America completely is outside of that. They exist in a smart objective vacuum. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but it's it, again, those liaisons and relationships. And then, you know, it's no different than me going like, Hey, you should listen to bro right here. Like, yo, you should look into Rothbard. Yo, you should look into some, you know, um, some some uh, Friedman. You know what I'm saying? What is Austrian economics? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these are things that, you know, this is who Hayek is. Like, then you lean them. It's no different than BGM. Do, do I have people that are snipers and Green Berets and extremely, extremely lethal people in my phone Rolodex? Absolutely. Am I teaching people about the Coriolis effect in regards to shooting? Absolutely not in the beginner class. My job is to get you on the path, and now you want the assembly line, baby. And some of your individual skills, talents, what you gravitate towards, you'll gravitate towards that and, and move exponentially or slower in different areas depending upon who you are as the individual. Yep. It's the same thing with liberty. It's the same thing. So, you know, um, I understand it. I'm a point guard. I don't have to score for us to win a championship. Yep. I just have to see the whole floor and get the rock to areas where we're strong and play defense and help out in areas where we're weak. I don't have to score. I just have to assist. Yep. Yep. Um, one more political question that I want to uh, uh, wind up by talking about guns, maybe getting some uh, – uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, immigration was a thing that did come up. Um, yeah. that got you um, in trouble with some of the libertarian marshmallows. And I'm, you know, I, I'm, uh, that's, that's an issue where people are all over the place. I'm a guy, I don't see how, I don't see how you can let the government handle this without massive violations of the NAP. But that's, but my, my opinion is secondary here, but I just want to let that know uh, yeah. where you're coming from. I want to let people know where I'm coming from with the question. What did you what do you think about immigration and what did you learn about dealing with libertarians through talking about that? I think that immigration, all of America is immigrants. Yep. Like like at a certain point, we got to have a conversation. And again, it was conquest. Let's be clear. The natives to Turtle Island, the indigenous people here got shafted, Yep. murdered, brutalized. And we can take that into the gun control conversation. You got to have the conversation about wounded knee when you're talking about federal gun grabs, you know? Um, so in no way, shape, or form am I saying that, like, I'm ignorant to the fact, like, give us your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, like, stop. Immigration is what made America what it is, whether that's Irish, Italian, African, Caribbean, yep. European, Asian, I don't care, Chinese, Indian, so what? That's why this experiment works or has worked because it's starting to look real authoritarian and, and totalitarian and police state-ish around this joint. Yep. So let me be clear about that. Am I with the movement of humans? I rem I'm old enough and young enough at the same time. I'm old enough to remember when me and my grandmother used to go to the airport on Sundays to just hang out and watch the airplanes take off. There was no TSA. Yep. 
And there wasn't bombings every two weeks. You know, I'm all for that freedom of movement life. But rights have to be reciprocated. I can't have a welfare state because Congress hasn't done their job about uh, shaping immigration in a way where it's uh, respectful for the people that want to come work hard, which is what the American dream is, this idea. And all of America was built on immigration, right? At the same time, you can't be taking, stealing money, i.e. taxation, then giving it to people that may not come here to want to set up in America. And the people that are most affected by that are poor and working class people, period. Now, for me, my specific demographic that I work for, that I live with and in, that community is black people. Sorry if people don't like that answer. If you happen to be an Italian-American that lives in South Philly and you're like, yo, like I'm poor and these jobs are going to people because corporations are greedy. They're not doing it because of the fact that, oh, the freedom of setting your own wage. That's not why they're doing it. Period. And then they'll talk out of both ends of their mouth and say, America first. But then hiring people, it's a contradiction. So highlighting that contradiction is what I did. The other thing, though, is that does not mean, like, humans are layered. So I think the conversation needs to be around streamlining the process of immigration, making it for people that want to be here lawfully and i'm easy when i say the word lawfully i'm you know there's less layers but we have to deal with the fact that i am not for open borders i am not unless the entire world or there's reciprocal if your country is open borders then we have open borders with you it's yeah. like gun gun laws this state has reciprocity with that state yeah um that doesn't and i'm not saying that i'm not i'm against open borders because like Oh, you're going to steal the such and such and such. If you create systems that are powerful, and if the free market is what it is, and if there's reciprocation with open borders and that person is there, people here are either working, i.e. building, or spending, i.e. consuming. Either one of those are good for the economy, especially when you're removing all of these regulations, so forth and so on. The market will decide. But you can't have it. People are sneaking in. People are lying about sneaking in. You're, at the same time, not refining that process. You're Some of the worst people, I don't care where you're from, are there to take advantage. And there's little to no, you know, people and their property are being attacked or harmed. And there's little to no uh, retaliation for that. You have to address that. I don't care if you're a libertarian or not. That's just like having a house. And then when I said the statement of, Oh, well, why do you lock your doors? And I get that that's a pull quote, but it's a very oversimplified example of, yo, bro, in theory, you're saying one thing and you're doing another. You understand the importance of, you know, security. Because as America, our nation has done things that have been horrible to other nations. That has happened. And some of those people are not coming here like for, yeah, let's let's get this nail shop or this construction company popping. Yeah. They're here because you drop massive tons of bombs on their family and they're here to kill something. Yeah. And that's just the reality. So you have to have both of those conversations. And I think that when we have conversation in long format where I, where I can explain, I think people get it a little bit more.
Um, and, and America has to be held. Our, we've allowed our government to do some things that we, we let them go unchecked. And people are mad about that, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it's a balance there. But I would love, just like I would love to be in a space where we didn't need firearms. I believe in the human spirit and the human evolution. I believe that we can get there. Yep. Uh, but currently, we're not there. Yeah. You know. And when and I same thing with me with uh with 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 uh unlawful quote unquote illegal. Nobody's illegal as a human. You right. know what I mean? So I don't even like them terms, but it's just the term that I'm using for people because you accept this term and you hate. And one thing I always try to move the conversation toward, if people are talking about uh, the effect immigration has on the poor and the working class as far as jobs and things like that, is I'm like, well, why don't we, A, get rid of the Federal Reserve so we have money that doesn't lose its value every single day, right? So these people can save and work and build businesses. And two, stop the drug war. Listen, man. Colorado and California have shown us the way. Yep. You know, has, has, has there been massive amounts of crime since, oh my God, weed related? No, it's been the opposite. Yep. Forget that Portugal has shown us the way, you know? Um, and when people are ready to get off of their religious high horse and, and still believing in the reefer madness thing, then we, we can have an adult conversation about the war on drugs you know what i'm saying but right now people are they still they still hedging a thing like oh drugs are bad well so are cigars and right. i smoke them right so is liquor and i drink it yeah it's bad it's horrible there's a quantifiable number of people that die from these things that are completely lawful every single year annually and um that's a layered conversation but people have to be intellectually honest about that you know the, you're, talk, you're talking about breaking up families at the border you know how many families and friends of mine have been broken up because the dad was the breadwinner making good money selling weed, a thing that these people wanted that I happen to have. Oh, great. I happen to have it. You happen to have the money. That's called commerce. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's free market. But you know how many families have been broken up because the dad was taken away because of weed? Now, Coca-Cola's buying the strain patents of particular strains of, you know, tree. Mm-hmm. And they set up to make trillions. So is my friends coming home? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's layers to that conversation, you know, and you're right. That war on drugs being removed in the Federal Reserve, which still Thomas Massey's been like, yo, we going to audit these dudes? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or what's up? Like, yeah. it's just no nothing. We just not going to audit them. It's cool like that. Yeah. You know, never mind the fact that like every founding father with their contradictions was like, hey, dudes, don't centralize the money supply. Yeah. By the way, if I die. Guys, don't do a two-party system and don't centralize the money supply. Hey, everybody, we're all agreeing on this one fucking big thing, right? Okay, I'm out. I'm dead now. And sure enough, fucking party time, centralize the goddamn money supply. Yeah. You know, so again, these are the things that urban America would definitely gravitate to if we explained it in that simple fashion and then put them onto people and historians and really, really smart dudes. Um that also understand struggle. You can't tell me that a, that a, that a Jewish dude in that time doesn't kind of understand a certain little bit of tyranny, Yeah. you know? Um, so, I mean, but I, I believe that we can go in that direction if, if we continue to explain it in a manner that people can relate to with people that are personable. You can't be dry. Like, if you dry, like, it's like, all right, bro, I'm, I'm going to sleep. You know what I'm saying? How do, on the drug thing, how do we move the conversation now that we've made a lot of, so much headway on cannabis, um, how do we 
move that and get people thinking about doing the same thing with uh, with heroin, coke, all that stuff? You do what Mike Heist did in uh, one of the sub, uh, suburbs right outside of Philly. Like there, Norristown, I think is what yep. it is. Yep. You know, to decriminalize shrooms. It's incremental. Their thing was incremental over time. Heroin and coke was lawful at one point in yep. America. I mean, the founding fathers had hemp farms, dude. Like, come on, bro. You think it wasn't no tree in there, you know? So it's just incremental. And then watching it, Denver, excuse me, Colorado Democrats, when Sessions was in office, it was like, oh, I'm going to come through there. Even the Democrats was like, nah, bro, you're not. And we cool because we got this windfall of tax money from, which I don't think it should be taxed, don't get me wrong, but I'm just using that as an example. Um, you know, even they were like, yeah, no, thank you, federal government. You know, and I think that that if the Democrats could do it, you know, it's a good step. So we get that by incrementally showing how it's good for the economy. You can't find abandoned properties. And I go to Denver often. It's very little abandoned homes. They yeah. grow houses. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you have initially a homeless matriculation. Right. But then they get jobs. Because they're working in grow houses. I'm talking about the guys that are like psychologically there. Yeah. Right. Especially during harvest season. Come yep. on, bro. You know. So we we get that by showing incremental steps and showing like, listen, man, this is a, this is America. If I choose to, the guns that I carry on me, can kill. They can. Like I, like here's my gun. My daughter's in there. The gun didn't magically get up and, like, go shoot my daughter, then shoot me. If we can show people that humans with the right mindset have the ability to control tools of death and protect life with those tools of death, we and that's a choice. That's a freedom. We can definitely show how you can be responsible with drinking liquor, be responsible with smoking weed, be responsible with smoking cancer sticks, cigars or cigarettes. And be responsible with, if you choose to shoot heroin, it's the same thing, you know? And at a certain point, you got to go like, bro, just making it unlawful that has not stopped it. Right. You just added to the violence surrounding it, Yep. you know? So that's how we push back incrementally and explaining it in very simple, practical terms that are liberty-based. That's mm -hmm. how we do that. A lot of people have uh, thought about or have recently bought guns for the first time, uh, because of all that's happening right now. And mm -hmm. uh, I know I just talked to someone else in the Mises caucus. She's thinking about getting a gun, Whitney Davis, shout out to her. Um, mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody like Whitney, who's never bought a gun before, who wants one for personal home protection? What steps should they take? Um, one, go to a range, a rental range, try a bunch of firearms out, tell her RSO range safety officer there. Hey, I've never purchased a gun. I'm thinking about purchasing my, my first firearm. Can you help me try it out? Those guys and women are so helpful to beginners. Um, see what fits the best in your hand. See what you shoot best with and what you feel most comfortable with. That should be your first firearm. Then go to a store. Support the ones that are. Go to your local store. You know, Ask them certain questions. Tell them, hey, I've taken basic safety and basic training. Um, I, I figured out what I want my first handgun and or fire, long gun, shotgun, and rifle to be. And if they hit you with some goofy negative vibe, get out of there and go to a store that's receptive. Get Vote with your dollar. Yep. Um, and get one of these. This is a CERT pistol. Um, this is a firearm that you can't really see it, but it has two lasers. My, my lower one, when the trigger squeezes, 
there's supposed to be a red laser that comes out, and then when the trigger breaks, that red laser, that green laser comes out. There's okay. a red one, but I got to switch the bulb. Yep. This one is good for you practice. It also has a detachable magazine. The only difference is the slide doesn't rack, but this helps you with everyday training of stance, grip, side alignment. Side alignment is these two dots here. Those are the rear sights, and that front bubble there is the front sight. So lining those sights up, so it helps you with side alignment, grip, getting a good purchase where the webbing of your thumb goes right up in that dovetail there. Yep. Boom, good purchase. Your finger is indexed along the frame. This is the frame of the gun. It's black part. Um, you know, getting a good grip, making sure that your hand is there. Thumbs presented forward so you cover most of the gun. These help. This company gave us about 50 of these. Um, their company's called NLT Cert Pistol, Nat Next Level Training Cert. And this is something that you can do every day, even if you take this with you when you travel or when you're at your office. Now, if you show up in your office and you're dry practicing, meaning drawing your firearm, presenting, so forth and so on, with an actual firearm, right, you might scare the hell out of everybody. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to do that. So those pistols help you there. Um, also, get a quality holster. Um, the holster that I recommend, the one that I carry for my EDC, is a T-Rex Arms AIWB appendix. I carry in my appendix inside the waistband, meaning it's in my shirt, my pants, not on the outside. Yeah. Appendix inside the waistband sidecar, which means it has a sidecar. The gun goes in this one, and there's a sidecar like a motorcycle, yeah. right? So get a quality holster. So again getting some instruction at the range. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first. Getting some instruction at the range, um, finding the firearm that fits you the most, shooting with that firearm to find out which one that is, um, buying that firearm, going back to the range shooting, you know, regularly, as well as during times when you cannot, you know, at work, you know, when you can't, you just practice with this. Practice right. with a next level training cert pistol. So those are some very practical steps. Don't do none of that. Don't get a holstered foolishness. Right. Have a holster. Get a gun belt, not a regular belt. A regular belt is too flimsy. A gun belt is a little bit more, you know, stable. So if you carry concealed, the, the, the gun isn't like leaning over and things like that. But those are some very practical steps uh, that someone is purchasing their first handgun can deal with. Okay, great. Um, before I give you a chance to do plugs and contact info, stuff like that, uh, I'm talking to Dave Smith this afternoon. Uh, you got any questions for him that uh, you'd like to hear him talk about? Yo, I want to get back to one. I want to say thanks to that brother because he gave me his platform, you know, uh, you know, and, and it was an amazing interview. And I hope he's cool with it. I'm going I'm to snatch that um, interview and post it and snippet some more of it. Um, on top of that, um, yo, tell him to hook me up with Joe Rogan. Okay. I need to get on Rogan's show. Like, yep. what's up, bro? Like, I know he the plug. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm from. I'm from. I know Joe Rogan is somewhat familiar with our work, um, but I know. I also know that Rogan hates when people like tweet him to say, "Yo, get this guy on." Right. Um. So because of that, you know, it might come. You know, from a better, it might have a bigger impact coming from him because I really, really, really want, especially after this COVID thing, I really, really, really want more people to um, be aware of firearms ownership, res the responsible way, um, ending the war on drugs, so forth and so on, especially from that urban demographic. And I think um, Rogan's show would be like perfect for that. So that's 
That's what I need. And let me see. And next time I'm up there, if you're trying to smoke, let me know what's up. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so one, ho- hopefully one day I'll get you to smoke me out if we ever meet up in person. So <laughs> there we go. Um, while you are giving uh, plugs, uh, contact info, stand up and, and show us your Murray Rothbard Godfather oh, yeah, yeah, shirt. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I got this from a uh, human action. Okay. You know what I'm saying? That's what, That's what I got that from. Oh, this is a cool hat, too. <laughs> you know what funny. I'm saying? Um, I got this from Human Action. Um, they got some cool stuff. If you if you want to... Sh- That's another thing. Liber- Liberty is cool, and we got to make it cool. Your swag got to represent that. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what that is. Now, as far as plugs, anybody that's learned or agreed with anything that you've seen today, please, please, please support. Um, we have these classes that we're still pushing for. That's GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter. Um, please donate. Um, if you got, you know, $5, we're trying to raise a million dollars. We started from $25,000. We kept going. We want to purchase a building that everyone at all times can come learn um, with free of charge. And we want to pay it forward. We want to own that building outright, um, as well as we want to get a um, want to continue the classes. Obviously, we got 20, 20 of those classes coming up. Shouts to uh, shouts to Gun Policy Firearms Policy Coalition and Gun Owners of America who okay. donated a substantial amount each to make sure that the next twenty cities pop off. Shouts to them. Go go follow them and go support them. Shouts to Phoenix Ammo, our ammunition sponsor. F E N I X Ammo A M M O on Instagram. I think that's the same that same name on Twitter. You could you know hop on DuckDuckGo. Um, and search them. Switch your search engine from Google to DuckDuckGo, just as a side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, if you want to donate, we, again, we're trying to raise a million dollars. Some of you rich dudes and women, you got an extra $500,000 laying around, cool, we could use it. And then we could actually partner up in a bigger way. Um, but if you got $5, donate. GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter. Subscribe to the Patreon channel. Um, content is coming. Uh, patreon.com forward slash black guns matter and just buy some merch man you want you want a hoodie you want a t-shirt black guns and uh just just spread liberty man just talk to people even if you can't afford to buy nothing or donate right now it's, it's dope if you can but if you can't right now man you know share some of the videos tell people to follow share the content just just be a libertarian yep. be like actually embody the thing. Don't just say it and try to be like, I'm the smart dude. You can be libertarian and you don't have, maybe you haven't read Rothbard right now. Maybe you don't know who Milton Friedman is. Like, okay, cool. You know, you'll, you'll figure it out and you'll still go, but still live, you know, rep that non-aggression principle. You know, that does not mean that if someone's aggressive or harms you, that you ain't well within your human right to defend yourself, you know, and just don't be a marshmallow, man. Be, be open to, Liberty and translating in, in whichever way you're capable of, as well as um, bringing more people in, man. And that, that's that's how we're going to push back against the police state. That's how we're going to push back against authoritarianism. That's how we're going to like really, really make the hood great, for real, for real. You know what I mean? And the, the people that are saying, mad that I say make the hood great again, if you're not rich and live in a gated community, <laughs> you live in a hood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah, just yeah. what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, Maj, I really appreciate your time. It's always, uh, I love hearing you talk to other people and it's been a pleasure for me to, to interview you. Um, anything you need from the Mises caucus, you know, uh, ask Mike, ask me, we'll do whatever we can to help you with what you're doing. 
and uh, it's just been a pleasure. No doubt. I appreciate you, my brother. I'll talk to you in a bit. Okay. See you, Maj. All right. Bye-bye. All, right. all right. I'd like to thank my guest, Maj Toure, for his time and all his hard work on behalf of liberty, especially on gun rights. Also, thanks to everyone at Black Guns Matter who helps them in their important mission. Also, like to thank Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And of course, everyone who's listening, sharing the show with your friends, and of course, uh, those who uh, like it enough to leave ratings and reviews of Decentralized Revolution. That, of course, helps boost our profile, helps more people find the podcast, and by extension, find the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises Pack um, to, to, to boost some of those ratings and reviews. We've got several ratings on, on the different platforms and, and a few reviews starting to trickle in. You can win a copy of Hans Hermann Hoppe's Economics and Ethics of Private Property by leaving a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever podcatcher you find us on. Just uh, leave a review, screenshot it, send it to me at the email address communications, with an S, communications at lpmesiscaucus.com. Screenshot it, tell me which platform it's on if it's not apparent from the picture. And uh, I'll be scanning uh, all the platforms, too. But just to make sure you get entered, uh, please send me that screenshot. Once we get at least 10 total reviews across all the different platforms, I'll draw a name out of a hat to see who wins. Next episode's guest is Dave Smith from Part of the Problem. I know you'll be back for that one. Thanks for listening. See you next time. (laughs) 